0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. This is the 11th Sunday after Pentecost. And we are in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, following uh, Jesus feeding the 5,000 and he sends the disciples across the other side ahead of him, as he often uh, does, so that he can pray. And so the stage is set for Jesus walking on water. This is an incredible miracle that we read about the walking on water, along with uh, this passage from Jonah, where Jonah is in the belly of the fish. And uh, these miracles have posed um, a problem for some. Some uh, today that would be critical of the miracles of Scripture would say that, uh, the ancients were foolish or they didn't know anything about uh, physics or contemporary science and uh, this doesn't hold up just to the face of holy scripture clearly the people in Jonah's day knew that Jonah being in the belly of the fish was a radical miracle, they knew this was the kind of story that needed to be told we don't read in there Jonah was in the belly of the fish like lots of other people were in the belly of the fish right, But this was some kind of common occurrence, no they knew that this was a miracle it's not like the disciples seeing Jesus walk on water was like oh him again doing that or uh, people do that all the time no they understood that this was a radical miracle they understood that people didn't do this all the time so it's not that the ancients were foolish and that somehow we know better than this uh, when Isaac Newton, a great Christian, uh, came to um, write his uh, laws of physics and describe gravity, it's not like his um, Christian faith was challenged in, in any way by his understanding of gravity. He saw these as being um, synchronous, as working together, as being able to, uh, to be understood together in the same time because of his understanding of the God of creation. And indeed a great 21st century uh, theologian uh, said if your problem with Jesus walking on water um, is with physics, um, clearly you don't understand who Jesus is. Your problem isn't with physics, your problem is who is Jesus. Because if you understand that he is the creator of all of the world, that he is creator God and that he made the water, then the guy who made water walking on it is not such uh, a problem of physics. It's a problem of who is Jesus. And so that's always the question that we're asking. Who is Jesus? And when we understand that he's creator God and that he is the king of heaven and earth and that he made all things and even the fish in whose belly Jonah resides, uh, then our um, faith is able to be put into perspective and with focus. And that is the task before us today, uh, which is where is our focus? Jonah's focus was askew from the beginning and uh, this is partly why I can relate to Jonah Jonah is one of those prophets that I say yeah I get that some of the other prophets I have trouble relating with Jonah's one I can relate to Uh, The Ninevites were the natural enemies of the northern kingdom of Israel. they had been terrorizing them for decades. It was very soon now in the middle of the 8th century when uh, the northern kingdom of Assyria, um, led by the Ninevites, is going to take over Israel and rename them Samaria. And we get set up for these Samaritan cousins that we see in the New Testament. And so these are uh, a real existential threat enemy of Israel that the Lord tells Judah. Jonah to go and minister to. And of course, Jonah knows who God is. He knows that he's a God of mercy. He knows that he's a God of long suffering. And so he says, I really do not want to see my uh, enemies forgiven. No, thank you. I want to see them punished. And so he refuses to go and to preach as God told him to preach because of his hatred of his enemies. I don't know about you, but this is something I can relate to. And so he goes the opposite direction of Nineveh and he gets on the boat. And of course, you know, the storm comes and uh, Jonah's going to do the will of the Lord uh, one way or the other. We find him in the belly of the whale and we see Jonah struggling with his uh, response to God. We see him Struggling in this kind of um, paradoxical way. Jonah is in Sheol. He is in the depths of the water, in the depths of the belly of the fish. He is in the place of the dead. And it's important for us to understand because this is the sign, the sign of Jonah that uh, Jesus says the people will be given. You remember when they asked Jesus for a sign, he says, uh, the only sign that you will get is the sign of Jonah. That is a uh, one who descends into the belly of Sheol, into the place of death, and is vomited up after three days. And that is exactly what happens to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Death cannot contain him. The grave cannot hold him it vomits him up and so this is uh, for us a foretaste, a foreshadowing of what our Lord accomplishes at his crucifixion and resurrection and so Jonah is truly in the place of death, he is in the place of Sheol and in that place he recognizes where he is he says in verse 4 I am driven from your sight So he's speaking to the Lord. He says, I am driven from your sight. This is an accurate depiction of the consequences of his sin, of his rejection of the call of God. And then he uses this very important theological word, a very important theological word, much like that word, if, we've talked about before, but this is the word yet. Yet. He says, yet I shall, again, look upon your holy temple. And so Jonah is saying, I have suffered the consequences of my sin, and yet God is faithful. I shall look again upon your holy temple. He's saying he knows that he again in the flesh is going to look upon the place of worship of the Lord. He is going to again be restored to Israel. He says this again, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet, he says that word again in verse 6, You brought my life from the pit, O Lord. So this hasn't even been accomplished in this time that Jonah is speaking. But his faith is such that he knows that this God that he is praying to is a God of salvation. And so he says, I have gone down to the land whose bars closed upon me, the place of death. Yet you brought my life from the pit. He says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And so even in this place of death, even in this place of suffering, Jonah's attention, his focus shifts, he remembers the Lord, and he turns his attention to Him, and he prays. He says, my prayer came to you and your holy temple. So while in the place of death, while in the place of the consequence of his sin, he remembers the Lord, he turns to Him in prayer, and he separates himself from those who would reject God. And verse 8 he says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But, I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you. So he acknowledges that the choice is his. He can reject God and he can worship idols. This is a path open to him. This is according to his own free will. He has the choice to reject God and to worship idols. He could be angry at the Lord. He could say, why did you send me to this place? How could you allow me to sit in the belly of the whale, he could be um, angry and resentful but he chooses to remember the Lord and to worship him and he says I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you with thanksgiving, he's in the belly of the whale he's in the place of death and even in this place of suffering he worships the Lord because his focus is upon the God of love and salvation This choice of the shift of focus is open to the disciples. Uh, They are uh, going um, in obedience to Jesus across the sea of Galilee after he's dismissed them. He's told them to go apart, and he himself goes apart to pray. And it's very important that we stop and we think about what it is Jesus is doing because we see him do it over and over again in the gospels. We see him going apart to pray. If Jesus needs to go apart to pray, how much more do we need to do that? How much more do we need to have time every day, every week Um, every hour to devote to the Lord when we need to in our suffering and in our busyness and in our strife and confusion remember the Lord and turn to Him in prayer we need to have a time devoted to that just as the Lord does when He sets aside that time to pray and while He's praying the disciples are being battered by waves and by the wind and they find themselves in a storm and Jesus meets them They of course at first are afraid, they're frightened, they think that they see a ghost because this is not a natural common occurrence for them. They recognize this as being the um, exaggerated experience that it is. And uh, Peter, uh, close to his character, calls to the Lord. He recognizes Jesus and out of his love for Jesus and his desire to be with him, he says, Lord, call me to you, call me to come to you. And this seems to be the quality or the hallmark of the character of Peter, James, and John that sets them apart from the other 12, that they seem to have this deep love relationship with Jesus, this desire to be with him and to be close with him and to to call upon him, even in the midst of this storm. And so Jesus calls him out, and Peter, once he goes out onto the water, we read, um, notices the wind and was afraid. He notices the wind, and is afraid. His focus changes from his love for Jesus to the storm. And when his focus changes, his fear rises and he sinks. When his focus changes, his fear rises and he sinks. Jesus asks him, why did you doubt And one way of uh, reading or interpreting this word doubt is waver to change. Doubt isn't a thing. It's not something you can hold. It's a change in focus. Our focus is upon God and then it's upon something else. And there's never been a group of people anywhere in the world that's had their focus sought after and marketed to and claimed like contemporary Americans. We don't need a government or an enemy to try to take our focus. We distract ourselves. We carry distractions in our pockets. We put distractions in our homes. We put them in our cars. We put them everywhere in front of us to take our attention away from God and from His purpose and to put it upon enemies or to put it upon governments or to put it upon economies or to put it upon pleasure. There are so many different places where we can put our focus, and any time we put it upon something other than the Lord, we will fall into fear and we will sink. That's a guarantee. If we focus upon anything other than the Lord, we will fall into fear and we will sink. And this is the experience of Peter. To have the Lord grab him and lift him up out of the boat. This is what sets St. Paul apart from so many of the other evangelists of the early church and of the the church of the Acts of the Apostles. It is his uh, zealous focus upon the Lord and upon his brethren, the Israelites. His love for them, his compassion for them is radical and it's a singular kind of focus that St. Paul has. Perhaps when he's writing this uh, magnum opus, this letter to the Romans, he's in prison in Ephesus. And so he's um, experiencing the consequences of um, his preaching. He has been battered. He's been shipwrecked. He's been arrested. He's been jailed. And uh, he hears about the church in Rome and he hears about his brothers, the Jews, and he is, um, he is zealous for them. He says um, about them, I have sorrow and unceasing anguish. For you, why does he experience sorrow and unceasing anguish? Um, he writes in the in the letter to the Romans that he understands that the Jews and the Gentiles are worshiping at separate tables. They're they're um, celebrating holy communion separate. And he describes uh, for the readers, he describes for the church in Rome that they are one church in Christ and though the Gentiles are without excuse because nature is open to them and God has revealed himself and, and the Jews have this uh, law that's been given to them uh, through the prophets and the patriarchs and they have the, um, the witness of, of Christ through Abraham they all are under Christ and so submitted to him and Paul goes from synagogue to synagogue and he is regularly beat up for preaching this they kick him out over and over and over again of not only synagogues but of whole cities and of regions but he continues because of his love and this is how he describes his love and that he has sorrow and unceasing anguish and that he wishes that he himself could be accursed and cut off for Christ for the sake of his brothers in other words he wishes that he would experience that sorrow and that suffering rather than that that's love to say I wish it were me and not you and to want to put himself in that place and so due to his love he is able to focus upon the Lord and upon that gospel so there you go there's going to be a storm no matter what Jonah was in the middle of a storm because he was unfaithful Peter, because he was faithful. Paul, because he was in love with the people of God. There's a storm no matter what. We're going to suffer no matter what. There's going to be hardship and distractions no matter what. Atheistic philosophers, people claiming to have a science that's opposed to faith, people in politics, people in government, our neighbors, people that seem to be our enemies, our own devices and desires of our hearts, our own, our own um, pride and prejudices are going to be distractions trying to bring us into a place of fear. But our focus, yet in the belly of the whale, is upon the God of salvation, the God of steadfast love, the God of mercy. May our focus be upon Christ of our salvation, no matter the storm.